How you doing, everybody? Chris Free and Bennett here with the VFS Storyteller Studio podcast. In the studio today, I've got an awesome working actor who just joined the IMDb Century Club. With 111 working actor credits to his name, I'm sitting here with the one and only Mr. Dan Payne. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for that intro. Well, it's, it's true. You are uh, in the Century Club. How does that feel? It's, I, you know what? I'm proud. That's a, I feel like that's a big accomplishment, so I'm very proud. We always take, you know, the angle of the show is we look at how story, the storytelling of, 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 the, of the guests we have, of the industry, of the, of the work you do, the craft, all of it. And in particular for today, you know, your actual story and how you get there is, is interesting. And I, I wanted to share it with some people. You actually at one point were playing pro volleyball in Europe. This is true, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Pro volleyball in Europe. Did that volleyball player know then that he wanted to be a an actor or that you would be a working actor? No, that volleyball player knew that he loved the performance demand of a audience driven aspect of a, of a, of a doing. So I loved being in front of a crowd. I loved playing the sport that I was proficient enough at to get paid and have fun to do. I loved the sport and the element of having an audience there and a demand of performance. I mean, I put it on myself already. Mm-hmm. Coaches put it on you because they've now hired, paid you to do it. Yeah, but the reward for me was doing it well in front of an audience, and that was intoxicating. That's a euphoric state to do well at something you love in front of an audience that gives you the reward of applause or whatever it is. I guess I'm saying I'm an attention whore, basically. But, <laughs> but, I, I, but I just love that. So it, and yeah, yeah. When I when I retired, when but I but it didn't. It's not a surprise. No, it was a it was a it wasn't a natural progression at all. But it was a progression of the same drive that I felt. That I enjoyed. Were you any good at volleyball? Yeah. Like, were you good? You could say. Yes. Did I you have was. like a killer serve? No, I was left-handed. And I could jump out of the gym. And 300 years ago, when I played, uh, that was uh, those were com- those were assets that you that weren't bountiful. Right. Left-handers who could jump out of the gym weren't as. It's an anomaly. To an extent. Or it's rare. It's rare. It was, it was and, rare. And you, you then ha- what has to happen for you to then go, okay, I'm not going to keep going with pro volleyball. What, when do you make the leap to acting? What happened? So just to go back to so work ethic, I think sports taught me worth, work ethic. I was in first, out last. I was in the gym first, and I left last. And I worked the hardest because I wasn't the innately skilled guy who could just be – I literally I played with a guy who would smoke a cigarette for warm-up, butt it out, and then go in there and crush I wasn't that guy. I was like the warm-up stretch for an hour, uh, work on the skills that I didn't, wasn't as proficient at for longer. So my body quit out way earlier. So my my, this was your backup plan. Uh, no, I didn't have a backup. <laughs> I was too young. <laughs> There's no backup plan. Like, From pro volleyball in Europe. Yeah, that's cool though because I think obviously you can't tell if you're watching this right now, and if you're listening, you definitely can't tell. Dan is significantly bigger than me. Um, by a large <laughs> margin, you're about what do you, what do you what is your height? You're you're six 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 four six four and a six half, four. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a, shrinking. I'm five seven and a quarter. That quarter is very important it to is. me. Yeah, yeah. That's the difference between me and Tom Cruise. <laughs> it's true. Nice. Yeah, I don't know why I use that. I, he's five, five. I don't. No, I think he's five seven. But <sighs> camera adds two inches. But you you're you are built like an athlete. Um, you've always health has always been a part of your regimen. You take fitness and all of that really seriously. And now, anybody looking at your portfolio of work in the last fifteen years, my uh, one of the things that I just absolutely geek out to, and I love that Dan Payne is my friend because it's not it's not a secret that I'm a uh, comic book and 
and you know video game kind of kind of a nerd i love that stuff and dan has played some of the all-time awesomest heroes and villains from comic books and video games you've got just to name a few and you tell me what i'm missing so if you're if you're at home listening or watching dan payne has been in no particular order you've been obsidian in league of uh, legends of tomorrow yep um, you were in the movie Warcraft with Dun- Duncan Jones directed. You were one of the ogres or the orcs. The orcs. Yeah. yeah. The orc team. Um, I love, I remember when you were Blue Beetle on Smallville. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's when I knew I have to be friends with this guy. He's Blue Beetle, which I think is just so cool. Uh, one of the considered possibly the greatest comic book movie ever made, Watchmen. You are Dollar Bill. Dollar Bill, yeah. And, you know, there's a real mythos to Dollar Bill that despite the fact he doesn't play in the beginning, there's a, you know, the opening sequence and and his relevance to the the that golden age of those heroes who are gone. The, the Minutemen to the Watchmen. That's right. Yeah. And um, there's this really great scene in the beginning where you see Dollar Bill and you're there with all the actors on set and then like a minute later you're dead. But you did it awesome. You did it amazing. You were, you were, I'm so proud of uh, the work you did, and I think you were so great on, on CW's The Flash. You were Shay Lambden, the King Shark. Um, that one was of the, pretty awesome. That's an unbelievable role. Um, Nightwing, right? Yep, did Nightwing. That's Dick Grayson. That's amazing. Well, no, I, or you, so were, you were Batman. I was Batman you in were, that version of, of ba- Yeah, you were, you were Batman. Yeah. I mean, dude. On Nightwing. So for people who don't know, to be clear, he was Batman on. But what that that one didn't get picked up, did it? No, it was a pilot effort. But man, I, what a resurgence that character is have, having right now. Uh, Nightwing in particular and Batman, what they're doing with, with, with Titans. And I love that you were there uh, and get to put that on your, on your wall of, of hero fame. Um, who else have we got? I'm missing. Uh, there's another one that's going to hit me in two seconds. Um, we got Blue Beetle. We got... Uh, Shay Lambden, we got King Sharp Batman, Dollar Bill. Ah, there was one other one. It'll come back to me. Cut that part out so it doesn't look like I don't know all the characters still. Um, <laughs> or me not knowing. Who <laughs> <laughs> Usually, I have to tell you that it's an important character. Right. Like you'll right. you'll do it. Um, when you're playing these characters, what's the like? What do you prefer as an actor? I guess there's. I would assume you like just a paycheck like all actors but there must be a part where there must it must be fun for you to create some backstory for a character and build that character uh, on your own or working with the director of that team and then you're also handed characters like comic book ones that have beast decades beast there we go that's right Ding. Uh, we were well we we're going to talk about disney descendants <laughs> okay, in a minute. We'll get there. i didn't forget about that that's no. that's you are the beast now, three seasons on Disney's The Descendants, one of the biggest shows on, on, on TV for that Disney brand. Good for you, Dan. We're going to come back to that one in a minute. Um, do you prefer a character that has sometimes decades of, of comic book or, or, or you know, uh, uh, pop culture lore behind them? And, you, and do you adhere to that? Or do you prefer a role where you can do a bit of the backstory creation for these different parts? So it's kind of a double-edged sword. I love that there's a template and a pre-existing concept for these characters. Because it gives you the realm to work within. And now you're, you're not going to be able to, you don't want to recreate the exact same thing. You don't want to mimic or imitate. You want to create something new. And that's where the director and the producers or, or writers will come in to help you uh, bring to life the version that you're, you're wanting to bring in for that story, to tell that story the way it's supposed to be told. I, I love that 
like Beast, for instance, if we can. Yeah. That was the biggest one for me where I was like, oh my. And, and make sure we were talking the Beast from Disney, Beast not, from not, Disney not Descendants. X-Men. No, yeah. Beast. Yeah. King the, Beast from Disney Descendants. The guy who, like, in Beauty and the Beast, the Beast. The Beast. Yes. Yeah. Post-curse, this guy. Yeah. Uh, what he turns out when it, the happy ending, Beast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The old man. Yeah. Maybe not you. Maybe happy not ending. happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. So tell me about that. Well, that's a classic, iconic Disney character. And when I got cast, I was intimidated by the fact that that has stood the test of time for generations upon generations. And I'm now stepping in to try and bring that to life. I feel without the assistance of Kenny Ortega and the Disney team to help me shape that for our world that we were creating, the Disney descendants world of what that beast would look like, I was fairly intimidated. But then when I talked to Kenny, he's like, no, this is our beast for Disney Descendants, for our Disney world to tell this story. And then that creative paradigm is created, that it's given to us to build and and do what we want to do within it. That's really interesting. Um, You did an episode of Once Upon a Time. Am I getting the name of that show right? Once Upon a Time. Uh, Yeah, it's... I did. I did. I played Evo in Once Upon a Time, but I also it's was called, a, It's called Once Upon a Time. I just want to yes. make sure it wasn't... I'm getting I played it right. Evo, yeah. Let me take that back. I want to get that. But just, just to let you know, I, I did do Once Upon a Time in Neverland, or what was the spinoff of it? Yeah, and right. I played a... I want to just get that right. But yes, I, got, I was fortunate to play in Once Upon a Time in Neverland, I think. No, I wasn't referring to that one. No, you're talking to Evo, the blind father of Hansel and Gretel. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool, too. Yeah, it was... Um, Yeah, it's just called Once Upon a Time. Yes. I thought it was like Once Upon a Time in Fantasyland or something. They they have it. They had a spin-off yeah. of it. Okay. That I also got to play in. I was going to mention it was Lana Paria's directorial debut. It was. Is, is that the spin-off? No, that's the main show. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. In the last year, yeah. Okay, let's go there. <laughs> that's really interesting, Dan, and I I know from from that that character, you're you're in the orbit of that 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 world of Disney, that whole fantastical realm of of fables and 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 nursery stories and things like that. And you do an episode of a massively popular show, one of the biggest ones at the time, which is Once Upon a Time. And th- I remember you did that, and I think that was uh, one of the show stars Lana Perea's directorial debut. It was, yeah. Talk to me about what it's like to be directed by a, a pro someone who's been doing it, like a, a professional director, if you will, and someone who might be fairly new or comes from the perspective of an actor uh, transitioning to director. I'm curious about if, if, you, could, if you would knowingly tell a difference, if that, oh, does, yeah. does an actor on set know? And d- despite maybe their unfamiliarity, what was that experience like? Because she's a great actor. What was, what was that like? That's an awesome question. So for me, there's a few different types of directors. There's the actor's director, there's the technical director, and there's the director who's just there to get her done, you know? Right. And there's a few other variations within that. There's a, there's a big line there. But there's a language, a communication element to director and actor that is different. There's a different language for each of those directors. And I love the actor's director because when they come up and talk to me about the scene or what we just did, they're speaking my language so I know exactly what they're hoping to get and where they want this scene to sort of shift from what I gave them as the, the start point. Yeah. And Lana was, the language was immediate. Like I could tell every nuance and every subtlety that she was hoping to bring to this scene, this character, these moments, because she spoke the language so beautifully that 
you know, I mean, a, a bit her caliber was she's Socrates and I'm the student in the acting world, but we're filming in it for Once Upon a Time. Right. Not that every, like there are directors who That's are cool. extremely uh, gifted and know the language well and are equally uh, capable of getting you through that scene with the language that you need and the communication you need to get where they're hoping to go with your creative input. But Lana was, it was otherworldly, uh, like it was enjoyable. There was a, I act because there's a euphoric state that I can get to when you fall into a scene so deeply that everything else around you disappears. Do, do you think, that's, that's, a, that's a really interesting insight, and I wonder this all the time. Would, would Marty Scorsese be a better director if he had once been an actor, do you think? Like, I know for, I really do think actors are are born. That's my personal opinion. I think there's just a, you could want and you could learn and you could study it and you could do it forever. But I think the, I think there's a certain type that's just born to do it. They do it a certain way and you kind of know it when you see it on screen, but you don't always know it with a director. And I'm really, I'm, I'm fascinated by that process of trying to get your vision to come to life with actors. Some of them very experienced like you, some of them, it might be their first time on set. And what can you do to make that? They're all so different, right? Like, oh, yeah. have, I don't imagine you've ever worked with, they, I, I hear from actors all the time, there, no two directors are alike. Is that true? It is true. And uh, I mean, I'd love to work with Martin Scorsese to find out, yeah. if, you know, yeah, if that was the case, if he was an actor, I'm sure that he has learned the language and I'm sure that he's worked with the caliber oh, yeah, of people yeah. who, it, obviously he has the capacity to get whatever knowledge he needs to make these stories epic, I think is the only word you can use. Mm-hmm. And every, every director is different. I don't think... It's about a team. I think every, every, every director knows their strengths and their weaknesses. So they'll hire a DP who can come and talk to them about a scene that will help them understand how better to direct that scene because they work symbiotically to make a better product. Yeah. So every director will understand their strengths and weaknesses and hire a team around them to bring the best product forward. Yeah. If they have that capacity. I know that in the world... Today, often, you don't get to choose uh, as much as you'd maybe like. Sure. Because, I mean, I've had directors who are like, oh, I love you. You're going to be in every project I what was Duncan? Do, what but... was Duncan Jones like? He was relatively new. He did Warcraft. Right before that, he'd, I think he would had his directorial debut with the one with Sam, yeah, with the, Sam uh, Rockwell, the, the moon, moon one, uh, which was cool. Mm. Um, and that was his start. I think Warcraft right after. I think he got a big budget one right after that or pretty close to it, I'm pretty sure. Well, how did you find uh, him? Did What was he like to work with? He was pretty zen. Like, he wore sweats and a kind of ratty shirt and just was very chill. And uh, legendary being the financing and the big boys behind that. They, they, I felt and like it kills they, it in China. China just eats it up. Oh, they loved it. Didn't that? You could do three or four more movies just off the Chinese box office. That was their profit margin, yeah. Yeah, but it, but it, wasn't, as, it wasn't as big, despite the brand and the game being a, like a sensation in the video game. It wasn't as big in North America box office. But yeah, no. China went mental for it. Absolutely. And, and you, he, he was zen. I don't, you know, you hate to, I have to reference that if you, if you didn't know this, Duncan Jones, the director, is David Bowie's uh, son. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's really interesting. That maybe is not surprising that he was zen. I don't know. That's cool. Well, I mean, you're at the helm of a $300 million project. Yeah. You've got legendary, not breathing down your neck, but they're, they're overlording <laughs> watching, you know? Like there's Hell a, yeah. And you've got these big personalities and these huge names and the CGI on that is oh, yeah. awful. So you have to map that in. And they're using new technology that was, like they could see li- live, uh, we were wearing the, the 
the volume suits, the, the uh, what do you call them? Why am I blanking? The performance capture suits. Yeah, the mocap suits. Yeah. So we're wearing our unitards with our dots all over us. Yeah, yeah. Around. And they had technology where the director, Duncan, could see in the monitor as we were filming us as orcs. So we didn't see unitard gray mocap suits. He saw orcs. Roughed in, but still orcs. So he could get a vision of what he was going to see beforehand, which is amazing to me. So we're in this giant volume. Yeah. And the orcs were living on the monitor in real time. And that's, uh, you know, this is where it becomes... I don't know if that makes me sound old with the technology, but that just... No, not at all. I think, it may, I think it, if anything, you're in a whole new paradigm of acting. Um, and we've, we've talked about this on a couple other uh, interviews over the last few months with people who are, they're transitioning to this new world of acting where performance capture, you know, let's go there for a second. You've got, you've got a lot of really impressive stunt work in your background when, yeah. uh, because you're a very physical uh, actor, and I think that's a natural place for you. And if I can throw it in there, I'm also very fortunate to have a great group of people give me that opportunity and credibility because stunts just to – that is a world that you don't want to go into half-assed. There's right. a, yeah, you need to know what you're doing. And I yeah. had the good fortune of having extremely knowledgeable people walk me through that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say it's something that I, I didn't earn that as much as I, I – I earned it from my professional – my professionalism, my work ethic, and building those relationships with those guys where they trusted me because of my physicality to walk me through what others have spent years to get to. Yeah. So yeah, no, I well, just don't want to discredit the. Fact no, no, that, no, and I. Uh, that's very. That's very uh, uh, humble. And there of should you. be an Oscar category. There should stunts. be. There should be, man. Absolutely. I don't disagree Pretty with obvious. that. Anyway, um, the 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 world of performance capture. You've done. Uh, you've you've been playing in that space and video game performance capture and that whole world. Um, I'm gonna have Dylan pull up a clip here um, while we're talking about it. And this is uh, this was. Uh, I, I had a chance to work with you in in the Beyond Capture space, and you were working on a, a King Shark character. And I remember watching the way you really. I mean, as an actor, you have to not only visualize this. Uh, animal or this creature, whatever you are actually becoming. But what I found so foreign, and you were in that space, I'd never really done any any work with 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 anyone in performance capture before. It seemed like a natural playground. You feel very comfortable there, and you've got you're you're, you're aware that you kind of look over and there's a monitor showing you what you look like in the mind's eye versus the room the the big room that you're in. That has got to be a really like that, that's a whole other discipline of acting, let alone a, a stage or a fourth wall or an audience. This is like how understanding that all six foot five of you is really, uh, you know, a 10 foot giant creature and how he or she has to look up and down. Where do you learn that skill? Is that just experience? Yeah, I think experience is a huge aspect, but it also, the, the technology helps inform you. It's, uh, it's the orcs. We did movement classes for months prior to filming months of specifically learning how to be heavy, walk with a, as if you were a 500-pound orc. Right. So that it carried over. Then all of a sudden you add the visual effect and what you're doing isn't quite there. So the new piece of the puzzle is how do you make what you've learned in the movement class translate to the image, the visual image that is now going to be the final piece of the product on film. So the same way that when we're working together, which was great because it's collaborative, we talk about what we kind of want to do. We want to have a continuous motion of of a swim, it's a shark. He never, he can't stop moving. Right. So I know what Dan Payne physically will believe that to be outside yeah. of my body. But will that translate to the motion capture and the technology? Will to be able to look over and go, 
Okay. Right. Yeah. And I, I remember, gotta... yeah. And, and, and I remember you studying and looking at with me how, how a fish and a shark moves. And I mean, that's a really, um, that's a whole genre of acting. It's ex- exactly. Well, th- can I just add to uh, prosthetic face yeah. and creature and alien work? Absolutely a different, I mean, there are base things. It's to go back to what I know, volleyball, there's beach volleyball and indoor volleyball. Yeah. You bump, set and spike serve on both. Right. But they are two different games. Same space, same court, same net, same height. Two different games. The same way that acting without prosthetics on your face and acting under a full alien or creature or whatever pasted to your face. Yeah, there's, you know, there's intentions and objectives and all these acting skills and elements that exist. But it is two different worlds because one, being a human, there's a precedent. Everyone knows what a human... There's universal expressions of sadness and anger and whatnot. And you want to tap into those and tell a story from those places. But when you become an alien, there's no precedent. No, no. And that's, that's you don't pure go to ma- the manual of alien. Pure imagination. You know? If anything, you've probably got a body of work of famous aliens that have come before you and ones no one's seen yet. And you've got to find out what, today, what, what does this audience or what does this character need? And how does this alien does it, does it need sell ET this story? or does yeah. it need something we've never seen before? To sell this story, to make this more, the most believable product that we can for what we're trying to do. That's interesting. What's easier, auditioning for uh, performance capture roles and character roles like that, or um, you know, uh, straight up, you know, humanoid regular parts in, in film or television? Which is easier from an audition prep? Ooh, that's a great question. I would say it's easier to be human, humanoid. Yeah, because you're tapping into universal truths that everyone can relate to if you're doing it right. Right. Sadness is a universal experience. Yes. And if you do it right, you're taking people to the core, that universal experience of sadness. So if I truly have a secret or whatever it is that gets me to that place of sadness, but I'm using a script writer's words. Yeah. And my sadness is coming through those words. You're experiencing and feeling it. I'm doing my job well. It's a human thing. We all experience it. But if I'm meant to be an alien from a foreign world, my ability to do that has to come from full imagination and creation that taps into that in some way but doesn't say this is human you know like it's yeah yeah right right so it's more fun to try and create an alien where i sell the story and the and the director who may have a vision or the producers and not have a vision behind they go there it is because there's no uh i don't think there's the whole dinner plate eyes when you when you touch into the sadness there's more of a oh okay well done i feel that when you're doing the human thing there's like I touch your heart or I, I pull on some string that you feel in your experience in your body. So that story is being told because I'm, I'm pulling the right string because I'm, I've done my homework and I've tapped that universal truth and I'm telling you this story and you're engaged because I've tapped it and you're on the ride with me. When I'm an alien, there's a, that's cool. Never thought of that. Yeah, right, right, right. You can't tell me you've never thought of sadness as a human. If you have, God, I want your life. It's, it's right? Exactly, exactly. But you've never talked about an alien whose mission is to overlord you. But you can think of Hitler as a, you know, domineering D-bag. Sure. And, uh, <laughs> and then, you, yeah. So I'm, I want to be this domineering D-bag who's coming to take over Earth. I'm just. Sure. I'm with you. Shotgun I know. out the back door I, idea. I, I know what you mean. So I want to be, you know, there's going to be, a, how do I intimidate? Well, I know what I would do. I'm huge. So I don't want to intimidate with screaming and yelling because I don't need to. I think it'd be scarier if I just quietly walk up and go, and are, I'm going to remove your life. Do you, as a, I mean, are you, your, your, your size 
is 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 uh, ideal for so many of the parts you've obviously gotten. That's kind of a redundant statement. And really not for the ones I but, did. But, yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> but you know what I mean. And yeah. what I'm saying is the – there is a certain point, like when I watch any of the stuff you've done, and, and I always do a lot of prep when we have a guest on the show, and I go back and I look at all the all the stuff for as much as I, I possibly can, and you definitely don't, you're not an over-actor. Like, that's that's a compliment. Thank you. It's no, a compliment. I, 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 I've seen, I see even in some of the great ones, no, no names, but I see moments of overacting. If anything, I feel like sometimes when I watch you, there is a... Um, Reminds me, David Cubitt's kind of like this too. There's like a restraint and a di- discipline. And are you doing that? Is that just kind of the way you do it, or are you worried that yeah, with your size that it's like important to every 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 high five and everything? Like Jesus, when we did like our bro <laughs> hug, you have to like come down <laughs> yeah. on me, right? Like, do you, how much of the the how much of physical space is important in how you, the characters you are projecting or am I overthinking it and you don't that's just something that you do as a professional I, f- I think it's more the last element of just something I do as a professional you're not consciously trying to no I'm not, not ever no I never consciously think of my size I never ever go holy doodle be aware of your size in this moment I, I don't I, I'm I have no data to back this up but why are so many actors short I don't know that's true right I feel like it is yeah I, I every time we watch Kate and I were watching something the other night and we looked up this guy on IMDB and we're like five five I knew it it's the guy oh it's the guy the Milo guy from uh, this is us right yeah but you would not know that until something happens but like when you are lined up with other actors you are clearly very tall and that's an element of casting where I will or won't get a job. That's interesting. I can't be a leading man to a five-foot woman. No, that won't work. Because it looks like I'm going to eat her, not... That's right. Know, like, we're not, you know... Yeah. It's just too much. Do you, um, do you, talk to me about... Let's talk about every actor's favorite subject. Well, uh, just before you jump to that, can I just say that the, the size thing and what restraint versus being conscious of my size? Yeah. My favorite compliment is you're very natural. When somebody says, you're yeah, I think that's what I meant by the way. I said you're not an overactor. Well, that's what I was kind of, yeah, trying to, yeah, take as the comment because that's my favorite compliment. So I was like, I hope it's that. You're uh, very natural, Dan. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> and I, I mean that. I do mean that. That's not a. Uh, we're not even going to take this out and post because I won't be able to. I do mean that. Go, please continue. But the naturalness is again. I'm going to go back to it. I teach an acting class, an audition class, and I want you to do your homework to the point where you're not conscious of self. You're now telling the story from the place that you're meant to be because you've done your homework. So you're no longer present. You're not listening to that little director voice because the director voice is the one who goes, hey, giant, don't do this because you're huge and it's going to look excessive. Overacting. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I don't, if I've done my it's homework, obvious. it's not even a factor. And that's why I think you said it's more of a just a... There's a natural... And yeah. the professionalism is to do my work so that is no longer an element. Yeah, well, right on. I think that I think that's probably because a I think you're born to be doing this, as I said, and I think it's also without question you've been on a lot of sets. You've been working, you know, for for over twenty years. I mean, you're doing almost t- two thousand one. That's right. Like you're you're doing really incredible work there. Do you think that uh, back to that question, which every actor loves to talk about, is when you don't get a part, um, you know, emotion and 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 transfer of emotion and and storytelling as an actor is so important. That you know. How do you handle not getting a part? Tears. No, uh, just it's straight. okay to, it's okay straight. to cry on this show. Okay. Yeah. 
How, how does that, I mean, are you, uh, there, I think there's two schools, the actors who, who are devastated because they put everything into the prep and they want it, and the others are like, it's a job, you move on real quick. I, I think I'm a little Somewhere bit, yeah, a little bit, I mean, those are two very, yeah, it's on that continuum. I favor the, it's a job, move on, let it, because if, again, my job is to put my best foot forward, throw my hat in the ring in the best possible way I can, so if I've, I keep saying this, and I don't want to. But if I've done my homework and I'm prepped and I'm ready, yeah. And I put my best foot forward. I go in the room and I leave it all in that room. There's nothing more I can do. So I'm not going to be devastated because I can't do any more than what I've done. And there's a million reasons why you won't get a job. Too tall, too short. Don't like your hair. You remind me of my ex-husband. Uh, I don't like the clothes you wore that day. Like whatever right. it is, there's a bazillion reasons. There's only one that you're going to get it because the decision maker says him. Right. But that, that to me is a really, that only, that only happens in your line of work. Like I don't That's go pretty, to, yeah. I don't go to work every day and potentially not get the job. Every morning. Right. Still you. Just today, <laughs> it's today the day. Yep, Although still you. you never know. Um, I feel like, you know, you're a pro volleyball player. So winning, losing, I get that. You're an athlete. I know you, you, you think about that too, but that is a lot of, there's, likely more rejection than getting the part unbelievably so and you still for almost 20 years have have doing that what's what's driving you why do you do that the love of storytelling the absolute the euphoric state that comes from being able to tell a story and drop into those moments that universal truth sadness anger joy any of those storytelling moments where i get to connect like right now i love it because we're having a conversation and there's amazing people in this room but i'm just talking to you uh I love this presence, this being brought to the present to be yeah. in this moment. Yeah. And then it goes moment to moment to moment. And that's, that's, there's a euphoric element to that. It's intoxicating to me. So I, I'm, I'm not saying I'm a drug addict, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> but there's like a drug aspect to it. Sure, that, sure. It's a high from that feeling. Absolutely. Oh, I, I get that. And it draws me that. to it to enough yeah, that yeah. when I go into a room, if I've done everything I can to potentially earn that part and I don't get it, it's not personal. And that's, that's a growth. When I started out, I'm like, is it me? <laughs> what did I, you know, what am I not doing? Why am I, yeah. what do I have to do? Oh, all the different things. Oh, they're, they're idiots. I'm an idiot. Somebody's, oh, I'm insecure. Like yeah. it was all over the map starting out. And then you, you shape it down to like, I do the best I can with the work that I, and I learn and I go to school and I educate myself to be the best possible asset commodity I can for this project. And when I get the breakdowns that fit, I'm going to go in with that full training and go. I, so and get it or not. What do you think of, like, because I, I, I can imagine a, an actor, there, there are many like you that I think love that, that, that performance, that storytelling, the, the stage, whatever, the, the, uh, the audience, whether they're there or they're, they're watching the, the, the finished product. I, I get that. I hate it, for example. <laughs> I don't, like, I would, I would switch seats with Dylan in a second if I knew he would do the same amount of prep that I do. I would absolutely prefer to be behind the, the camera. So I know it's not a draw to me that way. Like, I know that. No offense. So the, what do you say to a young actor or, or a, an upstart uh, potential actor who says, I, I think I want to be an actor, but I don't know? I think, ooh, I, I, there's not many that say I think. Okay. Because I, if by the time I get to talk to them, they've, they've either heard of the well, fact Well, they might that love I've, acting, but they're trying to decide, like, is this my hobby or do I want to do this for a living, maybe? Like, have you ever encountered that question? Yeah. And how do, you, how do you guide someone as, as an experienced working actor? So on that think level, I, I say take a class and learn what it's going to take to get to the point where you can be rejected. Uh, Funny enough, 
the amount of work that you need to do for each of those rejections is pretty colossal. The preparation, the, the, the classes, the learning, and the experience of being rejected is huge. And you have to know that you love it enough to go through all of those elements to keep coming back after getting knocked down. Mm-hmm. And my brother and I, before when it was about sports and just life not acting, we would say, our th- and it's not that we invented this, but our motto was to get up one more time than you're knocked down. Always. That's how you succeed. And acting, you get knocked down a lot. By, by that, I mean rejected. Yeah. You didn't get the part. This yeah. Time. Well, I'm going to come back. The next time there's a breakdown and you say, I get to come and audition, that's a gift. And I'm going to take that opportunity to go in and crush it. And I'm going to leave it all in the room and then I'm going to walk out and I'm going to flush it. It's gone. And either wardrobe calls me or I get another audition type thing. That's a great attitude. That's a great attitude. I think. Uh, well, there's a mental health element to it too because. I, if I don't do that, and I, you know, there's better, there's good years and there's bad years. Sure. And on a, le- like I've had a, a less, I've had a, it's funny because you have financially, you do well in a year, but you only do two or three projects. And my creative soul, like my dad and husband. Uh, the part parts, of you. Yeah, yeah. Those feel great. Yeah, yeah. I'm providing, I'm, I'm being a dad and I'm good and I get to spend a lot of time with my kids. But the creative soul is suffering because I've only been able to do that euphoric gift thing that I love to do a limited number of times compared to years past. So the insecurity starts to creep back in. Uh, talking to Dan Payne, he's an actor, uh, a, a stunt professional, a, a performance actor, uh, an all-around incredible working actor uh, here with me live in Vancouver. You've got two boys. I do. Would what they, One of them, both of them say, Dad, we want to be actors too. What would you say? That's the only way it's going to be brought up, just to start. I will never ask them if they want to act. I want them to, if they ever come to me and say, Dad, I want to be an actor, I'm like, great. Knowing what you know about it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I love it. If you, you have to try it to know. Yeah. So if you, have an ins- if you have an inspiration or some aspect of you is calling to it, mm-hmm. I-, I say, go find out. Sure. So if my kids come to me, and that's the only way it's going to come up, if they come to me and say, Dad, I think I want to do what you do. I'm like the dishes and laundry. Um, I'm just you do you do <laughs> I that? Do, I do do that. <laughs> right, honey? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to do. I want to be an actor. I'll be like, awesome. I teach a class, and next time you're taking the class. Yeah. Take the class and find out what it takes, and see if you still want to. And I'd have to obviously adjust it. They're pretty young, but I want you to understand what it's going to take because it isn't just to show up and say words in front of a camera, which I think at ten and eight they might not fully recognize the, um, the, sure, the sure. amount of. Um, yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And on that point, I want to want to call it again too. You were the you are the beast in seasons one, two, and now season three of Disney's The Descendants. Huge show. Um, really tragic what happened to Cameron Boyce. I'm so sorry to hear that. May he rest in peace. What was he like? What a, he was a young star that I think a lot of people thought he was just going to the moon. You know how you just sometimes you can't understand why him. It just. He, he, he was that beautiful kid. Yeah. He, he was, oh my God. Uh, yeah, just getting emotional for some reason, but just a gentle soul. Like, a, like he really, oh, he's such a good kid. Like he oh, was you got a me good kid. Um, you see a lot of young actors, in particular now uh, doing some of these Disney projects and, and on set. What is your take on... 
I mean, we've you and I and I to to frame this up. You and I have had some conversations offline about this, so I know a little. Uh, I know a little bit about some of the things, but you know, are when these kids get to that Disney level and when they're getting to like Hannah Montana World. What are you seeing on set, uh, and are you worried? I mean, uh, I, I hear stories about just this. For some of these kids, I hear that. They miss their youth. Yeah, or they're 14, 15, and you think, uh, it's just kind of a cliche with Hollywood. But you've seen some interesting things, and I'm just curious if, um, you know, the business, uh, if we're doing enough to protect and, in, and ensure that some of these young kids who see this really big startup. By the way, not suggesting Cameron Boise was the, uh, the victim of anything so like I think that. I can, I think I can finally yeah. talk, talk about him. Uh, his parents are, I think the parent core of any kid who gets yeah. into acting has to be strong. Yeah. The values that they impart on their child has, has, has the biggest influence. Yeah. And Cameron's parents, I met them, they're phenomenal. He and his dad were like father, son, and best friends. The, the, a beautiful balance of that. Mm-hmm. And Cameron was so... I mean, he could sing, dance like nobody yeah, else. Yeah, he was really multifaceted. Act like, and but a, like a good, genuine, he was genuine. Yeah, people see he was like a, like a Justin Timberlake kind of thing. Like you knew this kid was just going to go and do incredible stuff. He, couldn't, he could do no wrong because of his innate, unbelievably God-given or whatever talent. And was, Di- and was Disney falling all over him and the other? You've got some really young, I mean, the Descendants, for, for, I've got a whole core of audience who probably don't know that show. They're, they're not in that age bracket. Right. But for, like, for you know, millennials and, and below and the teens and tweens, this is, a, this is a huge show. And you're seeing some of these, 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 these kids, I'm going to call them kids, Teens, yeah, yeah. You know? Well, they are to me. Yeah, yeah. for sure, for sure. They're, they're, um, they're living, f- they're making big money fast. Um, are you, you know, and they're in the public eye to an yeah, extent. Yeah, their Instagram is getting millions. They're, they're, they're catalog, you're photographing and cataloging their life for everyone on social. You're going, holy shit, this is, uh, this, this maybe wasn't the lifestyle that Doogie Hauser had. Maybe, but, and maybe they grew not. Up in it. With my kids, same thing. They're growing up in this digital world, so it's less, but as an older gentleman, uh, gentleman. Did you <laughs> call yourself an older gentleman? Older gentleman. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Kane is right over there. Yeah, yeah. Sad. <laughs> uh, they, they, grew, <laughs> they grew up in this world, so it's maybe not as intimidating. But for me to look from generation to a generation, it's imposing. But they've grown up in it, so they navigate it with ease. Not to say that that isn't a, it is a good or a bad influence. But Cameron's a philanthropist. He was, he was, sadly, a philanthropist. He, he did this oh, wow. thirst campaign to bring fresh drinking water to those who didn't have it. He literally was using... And this sounds like a Spider-Man thing, using his powers for good, right? Like with great power comes great response. So That's great to hear. He was. And That's they created the Cameron Boyce Foundation yeah. on the back of his passing to continue his unbelievable want for the world to be better. He did a speech where basically, I, I don't remember exactly, but it was be the change you want to see in the see, world. See, I love to, that, to right? Ex- and and you, Lindsay Lohan never did that. No, and that's Cameron Boyce. And that's yeah. why I always just, it, you know, that's why it kind yeah, of strikes you. Yeah, he was a, special. Oh, I'm so sorry, man. He, that, he was such a special kid, and um, he really was. I think that you're, you're, you've got sort of a unique perspective on that because that Disney machine. I mean, you go from Hannah Montana to Miley Cyrus, and it's like it's become the the junior league for eventual Hollywood star. It always has been, but going back to the Mickey yeah, Mouse yeah, Club, yeah. right? That's not unusual. But um, I do wonder sometimes if um, if the social media is making it worse because of the the you know the massive size of the audience. And if um, if these kids, there's not enough of those cameras. I think is my point. Exactly, and and this on the other side of that, social media can make it better. Like, oh, are they just doing it because it 
gets followers or makes them look good in the public eye. No, Cameron was doing it because that's what he felt was right. You know, like he's a good kid in that he was like, I'm going to see if whatever I've been given these opportunities and gifts, can I not manipulate? That's not the right word. Can I help these manifest and leverage them to make a good change in the world? Yeah, yeah. And not that I'm not saying that, you know, like uh, Dove, Sophia, Boo Boo, all those guys, they do do great things. That was more of a focus for are they good? Are they good kids? Are they? They are. You like that? They're, they're, you don't have any horror stories, no nightmares. They're good. No divas. Not that you'd say it on No, I wouldn't. But, but there was no diva-esque element. Diva-esque element. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To it. Not at all. That's they, great. And, not, and I think, again, it comes from the parent core and the fact that these kids were well-adjusted, even though they grew up in the public eye. And I don't know how they ba- balance two million followers putting right. their entire life on Instagram can't really go anywhere. Um, it's imposing. Like it, it, I don't get it. I, I don't. Get, I, I fully you. don't understand. But they manage it brilliantly, and they haven't been swayed. I mean, Dove is really in the mix, and of she plays Mal. Mal, the she, young, do- the young Maleficent. Malef- yeah, Maleficent. Yeah. Yes. Or not the young, the offspring. Yes. Of yes, to get that, it's important to get that right. So she's great with the social media and the... And yeah, the, she's uh, active. Oh, and, and brilliant at it. But she's probably got a team helping her with it. I would hope so, because I don't know how else you get it done. Yeah. I mean, look at The Rock. It, are there only one of him? The Rock, of Dwayne Johnson? Is there only one? Because I feel like there's clones of him out there, because how do you get all that content? That guy's incredible. He's unbelievable. He's insane. And he's still a great guy. When you think of him, you don't go, oh, what a D-bag. You go, that guy's a legend, a good guy. Who's the, who's the best person uh, you've ever? Who is the, your favorite person you've ever ever got to work with in, in, in the last twenty years? Oh man, Nicolette Sheridan. She was a powerhouse. Yeah, she was she, a big she, deal. She, she oh, married uh, Michael Bolton twice. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's true. We can I, fact I, check it. I think fact she did marry him twice. I'm not even going to have Dylan check. I'm going to I'm going to just gonna, go with that. Just I'm going to leave that in there. She married him twice. She's a powerhouse. She knows what she wants. She's real knows housewives. Take to just of the first like what was that called? Desperate housewives. Desperate housewives. Uh, and then of course and in she's, the 80s she was an icon and and you know still stunningly beautiful too like. Absolutely. She's my favorite person you've worked with. Is that right? Yes. And I like the Hallmark movie that you did. I thought was it Hallmark? It felt like a Hallmark movie. Yeah, all yours with with yes, Nicholas Shannon. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know if you guys were going to make it there in the end, even though I know that that always does happen. So Jenny Garth, who uh, I got to do, tell no, a time to dance, a Hallmark movie. Yes, a time to that's dance, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nine hundred two one zero. She was phenomenal to work with because she was so present when she she would joke she about how great. she doesn't want to do this anymore, and she does it for the lifestyle that she has to keep going. She jokes about <laughs> not wanting to do it, but she's so unbelievable at it. Whenever the camera rolled, I told you about yeah, that yeah, whole, yeah. I can look into somebody's eyes, like the, the euphoric state is to look into another actor's eyes who's present in there, fall into it, and then the story happens. Yeah. You're telling the story. And that's just, all it's, it's happening. And you're there. Oh, that's present, great. With she, her? 100%. Awesome. 100%. And we were going through a divorce that we had to manage and then get back. And it was so fun to tell that story with her. Because she was so unbelievably present, you think, oh, nine hundred two one zero, and she, no, she was phenomenal. I love hearing stories like that, especially when it maybe plays against what you might think. I think exactly, that's, that, right? I think it's terrific. What have you ever? Remember when Christian Bale had the meltdown on set? Yeah, do you remember that? Yeah. Have you 
ever had a meltdown or like have you in 20 years you've, you've probably you have logged some hours on set mm-hmm. have you ever just lost it or been not at your best because sometimes you're shooting for like you're doing like 20 hour days sometimes yeah everyone's in the same boat so there's a there's a you know like a conscious awareness of the fact that we're all tired and yes. we're all doing massive hours but that's you know i have had and i also know you have a short fuse when you're driving so i just ask that because what? i wonder <laughs> i wonder like have you ever lost it on set or do you just, like how do you deal with that work environment that's professionalism though like yeah I, it's strange how you're right i'm not great behind the <laughs> wheel with no i think you're a great driver i'm just uh, saying thank you when but other people aren't you don't like that but i need to find the zen because the same way that i can just go we're all in this together like yeah Johnny Cutoff is just doing his best to get where he needs to go. If I could just recognize that they're not purposely trying to ruin my day or cause me any grief or kill me by cutting me off, I could probably just go, uh, you know. It's just professionalism. It's professionalism. So on set, if I'm exhausted, so is the guy who's not getting me my prop reset in time for the camera roll, and I don't want to look like the clown who's not ready to go because the prop guy didn't. I'm not going to yell at the prop guy going, hey, meathead reload my gun and get it the heck over here where I need to get it when the scene starts because I don't want the director yelling at me because you can't do your damn job. I know, I know. But I, I, I remember that happened. I felt for him. That never happened, by the way. I, I felt, yeah. I, I, I remember thinking, you know what? Maybe it sucks if you were the, the guy who yelled at, but as an actor, talk about, you know, and you know this better than anyway, you put so you got to do all this work to get ready for the scene or stay in that character for however long that is. It's like you're, it's like you're an engine. It is, it, you're being revved. Yes. And every time something goes wrong, mm-hmm. someone, you have to turn it off and you got to kick the starter in again. And that's, I would think that that was probably the most impulsive, non-instinctual thing he, 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 he did because he was probably, it was, wasn't Christian Bale. It was whatever character he was. Totally. It was and probably yelling at him. I, I, again, we're all, we're assumptions right? and speculating, but I, I think that's pretty bang on. It, <laughs> my biggest, uh, what, I don't know what the word is. Like when you just, when you hear this, you're like, oh, is when you're doing a scene and you feel at the end of it, you've, the lightning in a bottle, stars lined up. That was, you're just like, yes, nailed it. Yeah. Don't what know what high. it looks like. Like, honestly, when I do that, it's because internally it felt I was there with you and that I felt 100% present and in that moment. Like, that was the one. Oh, if, if I were to direct this or edit it, that's the one. Yeah. And they go, ah, focus, Buzz. We got to go again. Oh. Right? Yeah, you're like, oh. That's what I mean. But there's a human aspect. And I know that my job, so the focus guy doesn't go. I mean, they're amazing. Most 99% of the time, like, sorry. But I don't go, that was the one, you jackass. I don't right, lose right. it at him. He's doing the best he can. He's human. I have to bring it again. That's my job. I have to find a way to bring it again. So as and much that as- that takes, like, energy. That's especially not like- Especially if I let myself think, yeah. ah, yes, I nailed it. You know, that was the one. Uh, right? And then we're going again. Uh, talk to me about any new projects you're working on. What 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 does what the working actor do when they're not working? How do you try to keep, uh, ment- you know, emotionally, mentally, physically? Is there a routine you have for for all those aspiring actors out there that are watching and listening? Um, there's lots of downtime in between all these great parts you've had. What's your what's your program? What's your how do you manage that? Uh, well, I'm a dad, so there's a lot of busy dad time. But when I have my time to do job career related stuff I write because the dream I think for me would to be would be to be able to create content that I want to do for me the whole Ben Affleck Matt Damon 
how do you like them apples? Yeah, yeah, right. right. Uh, I try to collaborate with other like-minded people that I would want to work with. Uh, as I get older, I want to produce so that I can, again, be in more control of my creative path. Right on. The learning curve of that is colossal. I, it's, I'm an infant. I'm an ignorant infant in the world of producing. So I have content. I've been handed a couple of projects. I've been a part of creating a couple of projects that we feel could be greenlit yesterday. But you're learning it. You're trying oh. to. But I love I love that about you. You're very humble in that respect, and you want you are uh, you are always trying to learn something wherever you can. I think that's why you you continue to be successful, buddy. Thanks, man. Um, I love. Uh, will you come on and, and do the show again sometime? I could talk to you, and I could talk to like a working actor of your caliber with your experience is such a, 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 an insight to a lot of the, the, the students here and to a lot of the people who watch and, and learn the show. And I really appreciate how candid you are about it. Uh, will you come do the show again? Anytime. That would be killer. I'm talking with Dan Payne, uh, an actor, uh, a longtime working actor who's done some incredible stuff. Uh, check out his IMDb page. He just joined the Century Club. I'm so proud of you, Dan. No, I just want to say it's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you very much, Christopher. Hey, no problem. Come again. Thank you, Dan. Thank you.